Well, Eric was the only one with you at that time. So. Yes. Yes, and I'm totally okay <laughs> rehashing these because I figure you guys have stuff to add, and I keep learning stuff. Sorry, I was busy on YouTube. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by Planscope. Planscope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using Planscope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 94 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. Hello. Eric Davis. Hello. Reuben Lerner. Hi, everyone. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about the feast and famine cycle and what to do when you get into the famine part. Probably also talk a little bit about how to not get into the famine part. (laughs) And Chuck needs to lay off the... Oh, this isn't a teleprompter. (laughs) Unfortunately, think of all the things we could put up. That's right. I'm awesome. And I'm not... Okay, I'm going to stop now. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't take long. Anyway, so how often do you guys run into the lean times where you're not really sure what you're going to be doing maybe tomorrow or next week for work? A couple times a year. Mine are pretty cyclical and expectable now. Like June, the summer is always slower and it starts picking up again in like late September, October. And I'm crazy from October through to like the following March. No, I guess following May. That That's when WordPress comes back into season, right? You get to go out and I guess so. Hunt. Funny enough, I've talked to a number of uh, even other WordPress consultants and businesses who have a very similar, like the beginning of the year especially is super crazy, and then it kind of slows down uh, through the summer months again and then picks up a little bit, but not, not as much as the beginning of the year uh, before Christmas. That's actually how my cycle used to be a couple of years back, beginning of year because budgets get renewed, and then summer because people are moving or kids are on summer vacation, so people have no sanity left. And then after summer, people start getting back into things and try to, you know, get ready for the holiday rushes or any of that stuff. That makes sense. Or they're trying to spend the rest of their budget before it gets taken away at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I've got. I mean, with training, I mean, basically, the number of companies that have contacted me to do training in the, in the last, basically, as long as it starts in December, they're happy. So I've got, I think, two or three different courses that I'm teaching, each of which starts the last week in December, just so they can claim it in the 2013 budget. Right. So then they can write it off and what have you. Right. Yeah. I get a lot of clients who I do a lot of like 12 month contracts that I renew. And so 
a lot of the times the last uh, week and a half or whatever after Christmas, they'll send me an early payment for January just to get stuff onto this year instead of it falling onto next tax year. Um, so I get a lot of prepayments at that time. Yeah, I had a client do that with me. And the funny thing was, was that he sent it, I think, like two days before the end of the year. And I cashed it like three days after the end of the year. Oh, he was probably not happy. <laughs> well, I didn't even get it until like the 30th or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if he's on a Carrillo accounting. He can still claim it because he, yeah, he was, you know, the service was rendered or whatever. And, yeah, he wasn't so. upset at all. Oh, okay. And, but, but yeah, so he got to claim it the last year and I got to claim it the next year. So I could keep my tax liability down. It was enough to actually affect that. So, hmm. but yeah, kind of interesting. So, so when things slow down, what do you guys do? Sleep. Oh man, margaritas and sunbathe. Now I want to. Sl- <laughs> now I want things to slow down. <laughs> I've got I've got more work than I can actually do. So, you're right, Eric. I don't sunbathe in Canada. We snowbathe in Canada. It's, it's always so snowy up here. <laughs> Well, I actually, I mean, like, despite what I just said about all these courses happening in December, literally in the last three, four days, I've discovered that a number of them have uh, gotten canceled. So whereas I was convinced a few days ago that my December was 100% full, no space in it for anything, suddenly I have like a week or two that are sort of free. So on the one hand, I'm trying to push ahead in the dissertation, as always, uh, using that free time. But I've also started to reach out both to clients who had expressed an interest maybe in doing some work. Uh, or doing some more work. So I've emailed a bunch of older clients uh, where I thought it might there might be a chance to renew things. And I've poked around and, and looked online and see who's looking for people and send out some feelers. Although, quite frankly, I'm not sure how any of those will work out. So I, to some degree, I think it's, uh, it's busy work. And I've been investing more time in my newsletter and my blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can tell you that what I typically do, uh, I had it happen to me twice this year. And uh, the first time I was so burned out that it it wasn't even funny. But anyway, I basically just go to kind of what you were talking about, Reuven, with like former clients and stuff. I, I tend to think of things along the, the relationship pyramid or the sales funnel or however you want to do it, you know, coin that where you have the people you who know, like and trust you. And I have to I have to say, I've been listening to the, the uh, duct tape marketing book and he talks a lot about this. But when I need work now, I go to the people that know, like, and trust me, so to speak. So, you know, I'm talking to family, I'm talking to friends, I'm talking to former clients, I'm talking to show co-hosts, I'm posting to Twitter hoping that, you know, people who know, like, and trust me because of the podcasts will have work. And typically something will materialize because of that. But yeah, that's typically where I So here's my question, Chuck. Why don't you do all that stuff while you still have work? And so I have plenty of work now. I'm essentially, I mean, because the baby comes and I'm teaching at the local college, I'm essentially booked till February 15th. I am still sending out emails and following up with clients every day. Yeah, I've been doing that lately. I wasn't doing that earlier this year, and that's why I had those openings. I, I had one in March and one in August. And they didn't last. I mean, it was like a couple days for each one. But, you know, it kind of sucks. <laughs> Because it's like, where where am I going to get the next check? But yeah, you have to be doing that all the time, and then you don't have to go to those folks. But when I wind up in that position, that's what I do. Yeah. 
I think the other thing so, that affects how stressed you are about it is what your savings is like, right? So right now I'm working on March's paycheck, which is good because I'm taking off a good chunk of January and February. And that's how I typically I'm working three or four months ahead on paychecks, in which case a slow time had that. I guess even in October I had worked the first week and worked the last week. And honestly, the two weeks in the middle I didn't care about because I just didn't worry about it. Yeah, that makes a big difference too. I'm, I'm sure yeah, you guys I mean, are all better at saving than I am. I think last I heard, Maybe. Eric has like a thousand <laughs> days, right? You don't need to work for three or four years, right, Eric? <laughs> I wish. No, it's uh, <laughs> my thing. It's about six months right now. And that's part of why I'm taking a break to kind of learn some other things and kind of, you know, rest during the holiday season. Yeah, that's pretty great. So that, that yeah. sleep I mean, comment earlier was only a half joke. It was kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do have to say, though, that if you've, uh, it, it also depends on what your experience is. Like I said, I mean, I haven't had a slow time that lasted more than a week. And, uh, you know, this year, I mean, they each lasted like a couple of days. And so, you know, I don't I don't freak out because I figure that something's coming fast anyway. That, that, that's the thing I keep telling myself always during these slow periods, that I've been doing this now well, since 1995, and Every time there's been a slow period, it's lasted a week, maybe two weeks, or in really extreme cases, three weeks. And then a combination of me reaching out to people and people reaching out to me, something always happens. And in some cases, they're very long, very good, uh, good clients. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I just need to sort of keep it going. And Curtis's point, I think, about doing this not just during the slow times, but while you're full of work, I think is a, a very smart one. Yeah, so I know that uh, Eric did real well with this too. I, I kind of want to ask you guys about that. So, uh, since you brought it up, Curtis, let's let's ask you first. So, what kinds of things are you doing now while you have work to ensure that you have work coming up? Well, I have. Oh, what is it? I think I got. I did my review about fifty different uh, task items to follow up with clients um, coming up in the next couple weeks, and so I typically, unless the client is a pain in the butt, I even bump out current clients, say two months, and just send them an email or send them an article or something like uh, Michael Port talked about uh, a few episodes back when we talked to him about his book, which is escaping me right now. Book Yourself Solid? I think yep. that's the one. So I always get that confused with Get Clients Now. but and So I keep that going all the time. And it's as simple as OmniFocus comes up and I can click right on the last email thread we had because it saves the link to uh, to my account. And I can just follow up on it, right? And a client who just got married and he got a gift and he got, he would really like me to do work right now, but I'm booked. So, and it's too long for his business time frame. but he is, I mean, like, oh, you're available in February? Good. I, I need to look around and make sure that I have something because I'd like to use you again for this. This is third, be our third project together. And that's really how I do it. I'd like something a little better. What I'd love to be able to see is in my contacts the next time I'm going to contact them. So I can even scroll through all my contacts and say, well, I like these people. And for some reason, they just fell off my radar. And so I can see when the next time I'm going to contact them is. But I don't have that yet. Gotcha. So, Curtis, let me, let, let me understand how you do that. So you have this list of clients with whom you've worked before. And you just sort of ping them every so often and say, hey, we liked working together before. Do you have anything new for me? Well, not even that. So I have a e- couple e- number of e-commerce clients. When I see a good e-commerce article come by, that maybe I have one that's an antique dealer, and so very high-end products. Uh, I think his cheapest thing is like uh, twelve twelve hundred dollars. Is his cheap stuff, 
most of it's like $10,000 Ottomans or something. When I see something that's going towards high-end products or that type of stuff, I'll send that to him. I won't send it to the, you know, to the person who's selling little widgets at 25 bucks a pop necessarily because it's not applicable, but I'll send that to them just kind of even randomly. And then I follow up more specifically to make sure their site's going good, if they're having any issues, just how things are going. That's really it. So it's mostly informal. You know, hey, how's it going? Did you have a good weekend? This is what's up with me. Want to see what's up with you? Is the site running smoothly? Did you have any issues? Have a good day. So how do you run across uh, stuff like that? I mean, I've been pretty terrible at following blogs these days. And not everything that I'm interested in or following is going to be applicable to my clients. I was going to make a crack about this awesome thing called the internet, but you kind of took the window to my sales with the blog part. <laughs> I, I just follow a lot of blogs, right? And as I've been trying to market more towards e-commerce, I'm following a bunch of e-commerce blogs as well so that I can kind of keep my skills up. And you know, working by myself means I have to learn everything myself, whereas getting some of these other blogs at least summarizes data for me. Mm-hmm. When I find an interesting one, I just send it off to them. I'm not flipping through Flipboard sometimes. I'll find one that's good for clients or... That's how I do it. How much time do you spend? Oh, over a week, probably under half an hour. Huh. It's super fast. So when I see a good article, I just that's funny, Curtis, like, I'll like, pull a I'll hit for- email out of my iPad and I'll send them the link only and I'll BCC a couple people, right? So there may be two or three clients and mm-hmm. I'll put a subject in and a honestly a fairly generic so that it could apply to any of the two or three sites that I'm sending for the people a fairly generic email saying, hey, that looked like a good article. It'd be interesting for you to read. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I hear back and sometimes I don't. How about you, Eric? I, I, I know that you had a pretty involved process around like Redmine when you were doing that. Yeah, so I kind of do like what Curtis did. I I can't follow Michael Port's system for um, you know giving, giving out a piece of advice or article stuff. I just, I never got it to stick. But um the thing was, since I was focusing in Redmine, I was, you know, entrenched in that community. So if I see whatever, like say a new feature comes up, I would know right off the top of my head, like three clients would be interested in hearing about this. And so by really being specialized in that, I could actually, I don't have to do as much searching. You know, it would be the time I'm already using working in the community doing stuff. And I would basically pull out like five to 10 different things each week of like, oh, a client might be interested in this or oh, here's something new coming out and, you know, here's a little twist for how this client can make it work for them. And I think that's just kind of the thing, like as you get, you know, more expertise and if you have all, all your clients all have kind of similar needs and interests, like it can be really fast and productive. So that was one thing, just, you know, being in the community, doing that stuff. And the other things I was doing was I had, yeah, it was, it was a weekly newsletter where basically I was emailing people using Redmine, like here's some tips about how to use it better, more efficiently. And basically all of my clients are like perfect people to be on that newsletter as well as potential clients. Like if you're just started using Redmine, you don't know how to be productive with it. You can get on this and the the mailing list was completely free. So they could kind of, you know, do that whole, whole no like trust thing, learn about, learn about me, learn about my services, but also get some value out of it. And so because it was weekly, it was a kind of a recurring thing. And so someone might, you know, get 10 or 20 newsletters and then they'd be like, okay, I'm ready to hire Eric or I want to talk to Eric about doing something or, you know, whatever. And so it was kind of this, kind of like just, a, a you know, the standard sales funnel, marketing funnel. Of, I had all these different things out there where I'd be attracting ideal clients or people who'd be interested in the work that I do. 
and giving them a whole bunch of free stuff. And then eventually some of them who need more help or need something custom would actually come to me and end up being my clients. I found too that as I've done it, it gets faster. Just after we talked to Michael Port, I hadn't really formalized it by sending articles and stuff. So I did. And you know, for the first couple of weeks, I had to really think about it and make a conscious effort. And now I'm just looking around and be like, oh, that'd be interesting for this client. That'd be interesting for this client. And they don't take these articles. I mean, first of all, it, it sounds really interesting. It sounds like a good idea. I tend to send these sorts of articles to clients with whom I am in touch. So the idea of sending out to people with whom I'm not in touch so much seems really smart. But have you ever gotten a negative reaction from people saying, why are you sending me this stuff? <laughs> I haven't talked to you in months. No. Sometimes they don't reply. And I, but I'm not sending them like 10 articles a week, right? If I realize, okay, there's two really good articles that I've sent this week, then I might just skip one. Right or or put it on my to do list to send to certain clients in like a week or in two weeks so that I have something so when it comes up I can be like oh wait I don't have anything right now I'll send them this article mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and if I remember uh, Michael Port's system it, he said like make a list of I think like thirty people you want to stay in contact with and then each day you contact one and you cycle through the list so you know over the course of a month you're going to give one person one article so it, it that shouldn't be overwhelming that's people get more stuff like that from facebook you know like family members sending them random things that are completely worthless versus you're giving them something valuable and at the risk of i mean i think you've just answered this question pretty clearly but you definitely find that this helps that clients appreciate it and then they'll turn to you for work oh yeah cuz you you're the person that they're in touch with right you're the person who's continuing to reach back for them I have one client that I ended up not being able to work with because of my timelines and I got booked out before they would give me money, but they are continuing to ask me questions and continuing to being like, oh, well, there's this, you know, there's another project and I've guess I've been a little bit of a backstop for them on some questions and they're actually paying me a little bit of money for the little bit of time I can work to, I guess, be an outside consultant to make sure they're getting good service. One other thing that's related to some of this is that, uh, I realized when I was talking to my mastermind group uh, yesterday that most of my clients don't shop around. And so they're just going to go to whoever they think can do the job. And we were talking specifically about, you know, raising my rate then. But, you know, I, I really did realize that, you know, they're, they're not out there shopping around. So they're just going to go to the person who they think can solve their problem. And if I'm the guy that they're, you know, hearing from, then I'm the guy that they're going to turn around and come ask for work and you know, they're not going to go out and go, okay, well, you know, let's go talk to four or five folks. No, they have a relationship with me. They feel like they can work with me. And there are a lot of benefits to going with somebody that they feel like they already know. Yeah. My longest term client started with me and I charged, I think it was $50 an hour was my hourly rate then. And I now charge a hundred dollars an hour. And at 50, they were very price conscious. But over four years, they have not. They have never questioned a raise at all. When I've said this is my rates for the new year, they have never questioned it, even though it's double what they were paying, you know, four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I'm around, because I can do the work for them, and I know it. And yeah. Well, well, the thing is, is that I think for longer term clients, you, you remove a lot of the risk, right? Because there's. They, they know you can do the job. They know they put the money in and they get the code out kind of thing. They have a relationship with you that, you know, all this know, like, and trust thing that we've been talking about. And so for them to actually go and do the work of finding somebody else and then making sure that they're the kind of person that's going to deliver for them, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it makes a whole lot more sense to stick with you because you already have the momentum there. 
And it's the same thing even if you haven't worked with these folks before. If you've been consistently demonstrating to them that you are capable of solving their problem and you can make pain go away, it may not be worth it for them to go and try and vet somebody else. Right. And I think I've told this story before. Like I was working with a client doing rail stuff and they brought me into an existing team and paid me my Rails expert rate to do WordPress development. Like I, I know PHP from a past life, but I'm not that good at WordPress. Like I barely knew it. But they paid me my high rate. And they even said, like, if you have problems, especially with the WordPress API, talk to these other people on the team and use their time and we'll pay you to learn these things. And they did all that just because they needed this project done and they knew me already. They could trust that I was going to deliver results. They could trust that I was going to do the best code I could. And they trusted that if there is a problem on the project, I'll you know raise the problem to them and they could actually solve it. And so just by having the, all that trust and relationship with them, it made it work a lot better than you know even if they went and paid half the price for a, a WordPress freelancer and that they didn't know. Yep. The number of companies with whom I've spoken just in the last month who are looking for a web developer because they are fed up with the lack of trust or the lack of communication, I would say that's easily three-quarters of them. That they're happy with the technology part, but they're not happy with the communication trust. And so, I mean, if you can manage to establish that, I think being in touch with people all the time is certainly a way to do that. That's going to be amazing. And just sort of tied back to what we're talking about in terms of like the getting through the leaner times with the, the famine part, I mean, I think, Eric, you're the one who said in your uh, long-term uh, contracts book that it takes the same amount of time to find a client no matter how long-term they are. And so it's always frustrating, right? You have a lean time and, oh, my God, I need to find clients. But if you've been investing this time, say, half an hour, an hour a week, forever, then you're going to save yourself that time and then some. Right. And that's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting because I heard Chuck saying like he had you know some lean times of like a day or two. And in the beginning, I had lean times. But lately, the longest lean time I had was about a month. And that was because I was turning down a bunch of projects because they would have worked, but it wasn't like the best project. And in the end, I ended up, you know, after about I think it was like three weeks, it might have been a little longer, but I found a client and ended up working with them for eight months straight. And I think I made like that, that was one of my most recent clients. And I made probably a year's worth of income in those seven or eight months with them. So it was a, you know, stereotypical great long-term contract but it's because i had the confidence to know that there's going to be a really good client coming out soon i had kind of the marketing behind me so i was getting you know enough potential clients coming to me and then like curtis talked about earlier is i had the savings so like i could go a month without you know having to pay the bill like i had savings as a backup and so i could be a bit picky and that one month that was actually because i took three months off when I had the birth of my daughter. I mean, I was completely off the computer for three months. And so, you know, going back from nothing to that, like that's, that's about normal. And I think since then I haven't had kind of the famine part probably for a few years since, um, like before that, just because I would, you know, I did long-term contracts. I had my marketing going at a certain level and, you know, the only famine I had was self-inflicted where I was taking vacations. Well, and you can turn those famines into vacations, right? It's, okay, I'm still looking for a client to, you know, eventually fill the need to earn more money. But, you know, for right now, I can I can kind of uh, not panic and I can, you know, take the time that I would could spend with my family and things. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. But, I mean, mine, it was actually like January, I would say. I'm taking half of vapor off to write a book or whatever. And I would take half vapor off 
even though I had potential clients saying, we want to hire you in April. Like I actually self-imposed taking time off. And, you know, at a point, I think I was like booking clients out six or nine months ahead of time. And, you know, like Curtis is saying, most, like some clients aren't going to want to be able to do that. Like they have a deadline they can't hit, but there, about half of them were completely happy with that. Just, you know, like, yes, put us on your calendar whenever you can get to us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I've, I've written about this, I, I think in the long-term contracts book, um, but I also, a new book I'm working on right now, really like the feast and famine cycle, it's completely self-imposed. It's what happens is you're working so hard that you're not doing your marketing. And because you're not doing your marketing and there's a delay between you do marketing and then you get work from marketing that you don't do marketing and you still see like a couple leads coming in and you think everything's good. But actual in reality, you're kind of your, it's called deal flow, I guess. Your deal flow, like the new clients coming in is decreasing. But by the time you notice that you have no more potential clients coming in, your marketing is completely dried up. And, you know, basically what, what happens is you've got these two cycles and they are staggered enough that you're so busy that you kind of have the short term focus and you lose sight on the long term of, Oh, I'm, this project's ending in two months and I don't have anything ready to go. And I mean, really, all you really have to do is you just have to realize that and do like what Curtis does, you know, keep up your marketing or, you know, like what I was doing, I had long-term contracts. So my cycle was, you know, 12 months, 18 months long. And that's, that's really how you defeat or don't even get into the feast and famine cycle. I mean, it's, you know, don't overcommit yourself and make sure you keep up on the long-term marketing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what else to add to that other than just to say that that's been my problem every time I've had a lean cycle. Yeah. And I mean, I, I had it too. Like it happens. It's, it's hard to, you know, it's the whole idea. Like, you know, you don't see the forest for the trees. You don't see six months out when you're focused on next week, but right. uh, it's like a habit. It's a skill you have to really build up because you kind of get this when you're freelance, you get this idea of, you know, it, it turns into a job. Like it's, you come in at nine, you work till five, like you, you put in your thing, but it's actually still a business. You actually have to look at 12 month projections or, you know, larger things like in, you know, the U S economy and stuff like that. You have to look at that and factor that into decisions you're making now. And since, you know, if you're a single freelancer, it's only one or two people, it's not as big of an impact. Like you can be a lot more agile than larger companies, but you still need to at least look at that and kind of get an idea of how things are going and plan out your stuff. And it's, you know, if, if you don't plan, like you're, you can plan to have something coming up, you know, either a problem, a failure or a famine. So one thing that I've been wondering about, I'm going to change the topic just a little bit is, uh, uh, targeting this uh, marketing toward people that you want to work with. And uh, this is something that I've really been thinking about lately. And I've realized that the people that I have really enjoyed working with are these entrepreneurs. You know, they have some idea that they want to implement or some business that they want to start. And uh, I just, I love just getting in there and working with these guys because they're so passionate about what they're doing. And they're usually interesting, cool projects. So, the 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 issue I've been having is figuring out where do I go to get in front of these people to bring them in. I mean, if you if you're doing say WordPress development or Redmine development or some other open source project development, it's pretty easy to target a lot of that because those people are looking for those particular technologies. Am I missing the boat somewhere with entrepreneurs or you know new businesses? Well, I I mean you have to. 
you know, let's say you've gone through and you have like your target market, target or ideal customer. You have all that, you know, entrepreneurs, say, say venture back entrepreneurs, that's a bit more focused. Like uh-huh. if you want venture back entrepreneurs, are you going to put an ad in the Utah classifieds? No, they're not oh. going to read it. Are you going to go to Silicon Valley and go to meetup groups with, you know, that have venture capitalists and these entrepreneurs there? Yeah, that would probably work. So really you got to look at where your customers hang out at. Um, Amy Hoyd covers this extensively in 30 by 500, which is product focused, but I guess in a chat, like I've kind of repurposed this in my latest book to be freelancer focused, but you got to look at where they're at, where they hang out, what they do, what they need, all that stuff. And especially for entrepreneurs, like if you're going like for venture back companies, like there's tons of places, even just online where you can find them. I mean, that's Hacker News. There's, um, if you don't do venture back, you do bootstrap. There's uh, bootstrap forums that's kind of newer. You go to those places and they're like, you could basically throw a rock and hit five year customers. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of like how I did it in Redmine, you have to kind of do it a bit differently where you can't just go in there and say, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Like, no one appreciates that. You, you know, the whole no like trust thing just gone at that point. But you can go in there, be useful, you know, kind of like what Curtis is doing, share resources, maybe post a link to Hacker News about, you know, a new company that got started or the new uh, Y Combinator round or something like that and build up, you know, your profile, build up your kind of reputation in there and then people will kind of come to you about it, you know, and you might have, you know, maybe you, maybe you'll write a blog on your site that talks about like summarizes some concepts and you put it on Hacker News and so they kind of see you and get build up your reputation that way. But I mean, it's, you got to go where they're at. It, you know, that's, that's the simple, simplest idea and the easiest way to look at it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You either have to go where they're at or get them to come to you. And usually it's a mixture of both that gets them to come to you. That's the whole inbound marketing, outbound marketing. I mean, inbound is where you kind of, you do certain things with your marketing to attract people to you. You know, they're coming into you. Or you do outbound stuff, which is you know, the easiest way to think of that is advertising. You advertise for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, venture back startups probably, advertising might work, but, you know, you got to try it. But, you know, if you're talking to, um, you know, standard consumer people or like whatever, some another group that advertising works for, you can do advertising. You can do the outbound marketing and that would work. But you're going to need a little bit of both and you kind of kind of, you got to mix it up for your business and your actual market. My single biggest, I guess, advertising return was an interview I did for uh, WP Engine, which is a premium WordPress host. And they brought in, what is it, $25,000 based off the one interview of people saying, hey, I read your interview and you seemed really smart and I'd love to work with you. And one client I worked with like all last month and we still have, you know, little cleanup bits we're doing and it looks like that will probably continue at, I know, a little bit for the indefinite future. So, and probably another couple full weeks again after February. Yeah. And I mean, you never know kind of what the results is going to be. Like my red mind stuff, it's a larger body of work. Like I did, I think I did a hundred plugins or close to a hundred plugins over a few years, but that whole body of work plus the, the stuff I was doing in the community, that probably, you know, a couple, several hundred thousand dollars worth of work. And at that time, like 99% of my projects were clients coming to me. I had no idea who they were. They said, I saw your work. Or I saw your blog post. We want to hire you. It wasn't uh please, you know, submit this RFP and, you know, we'll get back to you or, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, we want to hire you. Can you do this for us? 
And that's because I had this, you know, this huge kind of inbound marketing machine going there. And, it, you know, if you have one really popular plugin or one, you know, really popular ebook or anything, like it could trigger that whole thing too. Yeah. And I should probably clarify they read the article and then read some more stuff about me that, you know, specifically in the e commerce space and the problems they had that I had blogged about sol- solutions for. So. Right, but I, I, I can easily imagine, even as someone who does not have uh, this sort of inbound marketing set up, I mean, I speak at a fair number of conferences, I've got my Linux Journal column, and I and I sort of go to various meetups, and I get a reasonable number of calls from people based on those. So I can only begin to imagine that as my blog and newsletter sort of expand, that and more people read them and more people see them, that is just going to sort of build on itself. Yeah, I actually plan, or I'm working on a contract to write a book for next uh, beginning of next year, which is a, the thing I will do in January, and that is solely for the marketing aspect. I don't really anticipate the return on investment financially initially from the book sales to actually pay off the time uh, if I was consulting instead. But it's a good thing I can pick up and put down, you know, if the baby comes early or something like that, as opposed to a client project. So I'm wondering, how much do you personalize the the follow-up? I mean, you, you talked a little bit, Curtis, about, uh, you know, you find an article and you send it to somebody who's interested in it. Do you ever just have conversations with people over email or things like that that, uh, you know, what about this, what about that, you know, just uh, answering questions or, you know, just having a discussion over some aspect of, of business or things like that? Oh, yeah. said one client who just got married, we talked probably a month and a half ago, we talked a bunch about him getting married, right? And I've been married for 10 years now, and he asked if there's anything good to read or what, what I thought about marriage and how, how that went in general. And uh, actually, when we first did his project a la- year and a half ago, it went well, and then it went poorly, and then we salvaged it. So it was a salvage project as well. Uh, on my end, it was my, again, my fault. I was not as stellar as I should have been. So we had a chat mostly about that, right? And then he asked me to look at an RFP because he always specs everything out and he asked me to take a look at that. Yeah, marriage consulting. I did not charge for the marriage consulting, even though I have a counseling degree. <laughs> but even like, you know, when I send an, in, an email to an individual, I will personalize it a bit, ask them how, you know, how something is going, if I know they have kids or anything like that. When I find out their birthdays, I write them down. When I find out their anniversaries, if it comes up, I write it down. So on my last project, I had a, a client and I didn't know it was their birthday till I was on a call and they brought in a birthday cake and I started singing. And my next stop was to jump on Amazon and send him something immediately to the office. And I have Prime in the US too, so I got it there like the next day. Oh, nice. You didn't use the helicopter droids to get it there in 30 minutes? <laughs> you know, it was a few weeks ago. They didn't have the helicopter droids yet. I so want those. An army of minion droids. For collections, right? Yeah, there you go. These are not the droids you're looking for. They're looking for you. (laughs) Awesome. So are there any other things? I mean, I I guess you just have to keep working on your marketing even when things are good in order to keep things going. Uh, Are there any other tips that you guys have for making things work when things are a little bit lean or work is non-existent? Before it gets lean, kind of like what you said with the marketing, figure out and experiment with different, I guess, marketing methods and forms. So like blogging, podcasting, whatever. Try to use that time when you're not stressed to figure out what works good for you. And the other thing is I say figure out kind of 
like the minimum bar of marketing you can do. So if that means like you found that doing one blog post a week consistently is the minimum you need to kind of keep a little bit of leads coming in, you know, like when I get busy, I need to keep at least that minimum. And that needs to be like your number one priority above even your busy client work, because that's going to keep you from getting in a famine in you know a few weeks or a month. That's kind of the biggest tip. And that will help you from getting into a bad time um, because you can always fall back on that. If you are in a bad time, I, I think it comes down to, do you have savings to kind of be picky and wait for a really good client that's going to get you completely out of it? Or do you have to just pick up anything that comes your way? And, you know, once you're in it and you, you know, if you haven't, weren't able to think about it ahead of time, that's a hard choice to make. But, you know, there's, there's no shame in picking up a project that's not the greatest project. It's a lower rate or it's not using skills that, you know, you're good at. There's, you know, if you have to pick up something to kind of pay your bills, do it. There's, there's no shame in that. I mean, everyone's done, you know, projects that they don't want to talk about to anyone else, myself included. Yep. Yeah, I know. I, I have friends who say they will never do whatever X or Y even whole jobs. And I always shake my head at that because the only thing I will not do is something morally objectionable to put food on the table. The other thing to remember is when like when you're first starting this is it feels like a lot of balls to juggle because you're picking up new balls to juggle, which is why I use the analogy, right? When you're starting freelancing, you can, you know, get yourself to work and stay at your desk for eight hours is a big ball to juggle <laughs> often when you're starting your own business. But like once you have the marketing going, it's not really that hard. Once you have kind of a process and you've been doing it for a while, it gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it sort of sounds like the, the bottom line with this is be as prepared as possible so that you don't have, so you don't have the leaner times. And that means a lot of marketing and, and uh, scheduling and planning and saving if you can. But I don't know. I, I feel like there are always short-term jobs out there. It might take a little bit of effort. It might even take a, a week or two to sort of find them and, and get them. But they do exist. And especially online nowadays, you can find things. They might, might not be ideal. They might not pay the best. But the odds of a programmer not being able to find anything at all, I'd say, are, are pretty slim. Well, and there are always local businesses too, right? That, hey, you know, I went to your website and it looks like it could use a, a refresh or... You know, it looks like you're using this spreadsheet to manage this process or, you know, what have you. And I mean, it may only mean a couple of days worth of work, but it's something. Right. And actually a good thing to do, especially before you get in there, but you can do it while you're still have a lean time is find freelancers that do subcontracting like Chuck here does that. Be, you know, friends with them, build up trust with them just like a client, because when you get slow, you might be able to go to them and they might have extra work. I mean, I, I don't pick up that much that way, but I'm in groups and I've seen dozens of, hey, I have some free time and someone else in that group's like, hey, I actually could hire someone for 10 hours a week and boom, that, that guy just got some work. And mm-hmm. that kind of passing and referral happens a lot. And that's something that's not advertised. It's You can't go Google searching for it. You have to have a relationship with people and building that up can actually really be a big good support group, especially you know, if you don't want to do a lot of the marking or you're having problems with it. Yeah, this isn't up yet, but I will have it up before the show is released. Uh, go to iephq.com slash subs. And IEP is Intentional Excellence Productions, which is my company, and then HQ, obviously. But yeah, if you go to iephq.com slash subs, then you can actually uh, enter your information. And then when I have contracts that I need people on, then I will hopefully have looked through your GitHub repository and stuff and feel good about hiring you. So, 
Anyway. And you could always try to get Chuck's mailing address and send him brownies or cookies, and I'm sure that has no effect on his business decisions whatsoever. Uh, it does. It has no effect whatsoever because uh, I'm diabetic, and it'll, <laughs> it'll do bad things. My wife would appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's a little hint trying to, for those trying to get work from Chuck. Don't try to kill him. Yes. Yes. Very, very good. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else that we need to talk about? In this, I know that uh, both Curtis and Eric have written books about finding clients and running a business, and so uh, we'll we'll make sure that we have links to those in the show notes. And I think I think Eric and possibly Curtis, I don't remember which of you guys have banners in the sidebar on the website, but uh, you can also go just go click on that. And so uh, anyway, we'll we'll make sure that we have links on the website one way or the other, so that you can go and click on it and buy their stuff because it's good stuff and they know what they're talking about. So anyway, let's go ahead and do the picks. Uh, Reuven, do you want to start us off this week? Sure. So I've got, uh, oh, let's do three picks. So first of all, for those of you who, uh, who work a lot online and my guess is that's most of you, there's this great, uh, replacement for SSH that I've found. I know it's not just me that found it. Uh, someone at MIT has come up with this thing called Mosh. And Mosh is the mobile shell, and I've been using it quite a bit because it's great. Basically, it reconnects you automatically to the servers uh, when you disconnect from the Internet and reconnect. So I just have a bunch of terminal windows open with Mosh sessions on the various servers I work on, and I never need to worry about re-logging into them. So I found it to be very convenient, a uh, nice little productivity booster. Uh, and two other fun ones. Number one is uh, something I just found in the last day or so is this uh, Improve Your Geography t- site. Uh, I'm going to be going to Romania next week to teach a Python course. And so I've been looking at lots of maps of Europe and discovering that um, there are a lot of countries and locations that I really haven't thought about since elementary or high school. So I'm trying to refamiliarize myself with the map a little bit to know who is where. So I've got a link there to a nice little online quiz where you can check your knowledge of geography. And the link I'll put is to Europe, but there are a bunch of others as well, every continent and many, many countries. And the third one is, uh, I mean, maybe I'm dating myself, but when I was a kid, there's this great show on the TV called, on PBS, called The Electric Company for Learning to Read. And I can tell you, as a parent and as someone who uh, watched it back then as a kid, uh, it's an amazing show, great, funny, extremely funny, with Bill Cosby, Rita Moreno, Morgan Freeman, and uh, they teach kids how to read. And so it's available on DVDs, it's available on Amazon Streaming. Uh, I highly recommend it, and it's not obvious to me whether the kids will enjoy it as much as the adults do. But uh, I definitely uh, recommend it for anyone who's interested in some entertainment and even helping teach their kids to read. So that's it for this week. Awesome. Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick Zapier and Campfire. And Zapier is a service that basically connects other services. So I have zapier set up to grab all my trello card notifications and all the beanstalk commits and send them into campfire uh, for a specific project so that we have a running kind of tally of what's up i've also got it uh, sending out of my email sending anything i send to taxes goes into my evernote into the receipts for the current year all right eric what are your picks okay so my pick today is the book i just released it's for basically people that are getting started to freelance or they got started and they're kind of floundering and not, you know, can't figure out how to make it work. Um, I got it, be- I wrote it because I was getting a lot of emails and, you know, personal messages like, I don't know where to get started. And a lot of the getting started as a freelancer stuff wasn't really the greatest, in my opinion. 
Um, but the book's called 30 Days to Become a Freelance Developer. Um, it kind of walks through picking your ideal client, figuring out what services you can provide to them, finding your ideal client. And then it gets into kind of building a, a, a simple marketing system. And it's it's 30 days. You can do it in less if you want, but it's kind of a nice breakdown so you can do a daily task. I'll have a link in the show notes. And that's kind of, you know, this is the the thing I've been working on, I guess, the past few weeks. So I'd appreciate it if you're interested, you know, take a look at it. If you're not, you know, that's fine. Sounds like something I could use. All right. Um, yeah, if you're just getting started. Yeah, that's right. All right, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pick a few things. The The first one that I'm going to pick is, and I keep picking books. I, I've just gotten hooked on books lately. Uh, one of them is The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. It's it's a pretty terrific book, and he he's just got some pretty awesome ideas in there. The other pick I have is I'm also going to be doing a course, so I'm going to pick my own stuff. The course is a three-month course. It's for learning Ruby on Rails. And uh, you get a whole bunch of video content. And then I'm going to offer both office hours and Q&A sessions over GoToMeeting. And so you should be able to call into those one way or the other and uh, check it out. So if you're interested in all of that, then uh, you can go find that at railsrampup.com. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got. So thanks for listening. I hope you all had a terrific holiday and we'll catch you all next week.